Good afternoon, everybody. I uh, hope you all have the balls to talk about it. Welcome to another uh, episode of Zoom, Have the Balls to Talk About It. Um, we're all in the Zoom mode these days. Uh, so I'm Dr. Andrew Steinberg, in case you forget. And uh, down below me is Nick Drossos. And uh, we have a super interesting guest today. I've been very excited to speak to her and learn more about this, Amanda Luderman. And uh, I think the easiest way to jump into this is for you to explain what you do. Okay. Uh, well, first of all, I'm a psychotherapist. So I always try to, I, I make sure to say that first, first and foremost, I'm a, I'm a psychotherapist. So in terms of any sexual concern that does, you know, show up in my office or people discuss at the end of the day, um, I'm a therapist. So we are looking at the more or less um, mainstream, you know, sensations and feelings that are coped with, uh, with any regular treatment plan as well, like cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectic behavior therapy, any but you of that only sort of deal, stuff. You don't, you don't deal with other uh, patients? I mean, you're, you're strictly in the sex therapy domain? Uh, not not strictly, probably about 80%, 85%, but, okay. uh, you know, certainly people who've got anxiety and depression, you know, any sort of low-grade mood disorder um, are referred to me sometimes because the, you know, maybe because they've got a, um, not, not to say a sexual concern, but maybe a gender issue or maybe a, you know, something that they'd like to be safe in the room, um, even if they're not discussing sexuality. So they may just okay. be gay, they may be polyamorous, they may be, mm -hmm. um, you know, bring, something something about their identity makes their erotic life a priority and so even if they're just talking about workplace anxiety they may be referred to me okay so your 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 realm or or subspecialty or what makes you different than a uh, not just a therapist but a sex right. therapist is mm -hmm. the Erotic, is the erotic empathy, empathy. approach. Okay. Right. So, so I've coined the term erotic empathy and I've uh, developed an approach, mm -hmm. which is somewhere right between psychotherapy and sex therapy. So even though many people talk to me about sex as a sex therapist, mm -hmm. um, I actually do not follow that distinction, that, that distinction. I'm trained in sex therapy, but I don't call myself a sex therapist most often mm -hmm. because what I'm really doing is this erotic empathy approach. What Amanda, that means, yes, yes. Question: Did you is is that unique to you? The erotic empathy therapy? Yeah. This okay. Yeah. That's your own thing. It's not something that people could call and ask for. People in San Francisco won't uh, know what an erotic empathy therapist is, or. I mean, they might. I get international referrals, but for the most part, uh, no. It's still it's still just sort of a budding um, philosophy within the last few years. And Have so, you taught others? Have others engaged in this? And yeah, I was just asked in January to to run a workshop for therapists in Florida. Actually, I was brought out to uh, West Palm to amazing to run a training. Okay. Yeah, cool. So so so, tell us what you know. We hear erotic therapy. Uh, Andrew, that's all I'm here. I was like, erotic. <laughs> People I, like the word. I, I just want to yeah. know where this is going, Amanda. Okay. So first of all, um, I guess the, I'll give you the, the spiel here is that there, there are two words associated within sexuality when people are coming from a mental health standpoint that are important to distinguish between, okay? Sexuality and eroticism. Mm -hmm. Sexuality is the word that is used almost like a medical word, right? If you have a sexual function or dysfunction issue. Mm -hmm. And sexuality typically refers to one person's body. So it might be a, it's a sexual problem. You're not thinking about two people. You're actually thinking about one person's physical right. um, mechanism. Erectile dysfunction. I got the problem. It's me. That's it. Okay. Whereas erotic is very simply interpersonal sexuality. 
So erotic really means, I refer to erotic dynamic or the erotic flow of desire between people or between something and something that arouses them. So, so like, for, you know, the word fetish, for example, you would know as an erotic symbol is something that inspires desire, right, mm -hmm. in, in one person. But there is still um, a flow between person and thing. Is it more couple therapy then that you do? Um, it's funny. I actually do probably about half couples, half individuals. Okay. But it is, um, it, it's definitely for the help within relationships. It's helping relationships. It's looking at, at that dynamic issue. So some people who, even though they feel, you know, arousable and with no problem when they're masturbating, they may feel that in their couple, they can't quite get aroused and they're wondering why. They know they don't have a sexual dysfunction, but they do have an erotic dynamic issue. Right. So how would you approach that? For example, well, you know, yeah. which is probably the most common example. Well, one of the most common examples would be erectile dysfunction. Right. So erectile dysfunction, you know, is um, even if it's uh, a small percentage psychological, there is always a psychological component that can be helped. So there small may be. Small percentage? It's it sometimes a small. <laughs> I'm, you know, yes. being gentle here. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Most of the time, there is, there is an avenue through which to approach a physical dysfunction. Mm hmm through, through a psychological understanding or a psychological approach. And erotic empathy is all about the fact that at, at any given point in a sexual issue or sexual encounter, each person involved has their own totally unique experience of that mm -hmm. moment, right? So one person who finds their partner to be totally attractive and, you know, very arousing in that moment, that, per, that subject of arousal, the other person may not think they're attractive at all. So, I see a lot of couples getting into these traps where they reject one another because they can't wrap their head around the fact that the other person mm -hmm. finds them to be really attractive. Mm -hmm. So well, I would use that to use erotic empathy in a sentence. Um, you know, if you're, if your couple lacks erotic empathy, chances are you're actually missing a lot of motivation or a lot of, um, a, lo a lot of opportunity for erotic fulfillment. Is the base to that just communication between the couple? Is that what you do? not only communication because it's also faulty belief systems, right? I mean, they're, they're, we're really looking at tackling what kind of thought process or what kind of belief system is interfering with focusing on sensations that would then focus, that would then make orgasm easier to, to reach. So we, I see people who, you know, they love their partner, they're attracted to their partner, they absolutely want to be in that sexual relationship. That's the thing that makes me different from couples therapy. My couples want more of each other. They're just, there's a block there. They're not able to really, to, to really meet each other, you know, at that point of letting go or of that point of no return where pleasure just, just flows. They're not able to focus on sensations that they need to escalate into arousal because there's that psychological noise in the way. There's that interference. So we, we tackle that interference, yes, through communication and, and through um, work breaking down some of the cognitive distortions, straight up CBT there, um, while being mindful of, of the physical process. So I use something called mindfulness-based cognitive therapy a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. um, and the erotic empathy approach puts that in motion. So I, I, I you know, pull out individual moments and break down alternatives to the thought process that would be arousing. Am I making sense? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay. Uh, and, and I and I, you know, we sort of mentioned a little bit before in terms of the uh, the psych psychogenic aspect of sexual dysfunction. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's uh, I think it's it's something that is way bigger than most people think. 
Um, I think, though, it's very hard for many people to accept it. For me, when I see a guy with erectile dysfunction, they usually fall from one of two camps. One is they're sure that there's something wrong with them. You know, it wasn't there yesterday and it's there today. Uh, you know, I was fine a week ago, a 22 year old healthy guy. And Mm -hmm. those are the cases which are obviously 100%, um, psychogenic. Right. Uh, but they, they don't accept it for some reason. And they're hard to, if you push them too hard, Mm -hmm. they get insulted. They think you're blowing them off. They think you told them it's, you know, then they go on rate MD and said, doctor thinks it's all (laughs) in my, in my head and stuff like that. Um, so it's they're hard from, you know, my point of view, who treats the well, quote unquote the physical part of things to to properly deal with these patients, and um, and when I suggest that they go see you know a therapist, uh, I would say maybe ten percent of them do, which right. is is terrible. So I'm I'm trying to figure out a way to better convince my patients that uh, this is how this is helpful right. and necessary and a big part of the treatment that's necessary i'll give them viagra to boost them and help them for the day and we're sure no problem and i think it helps because if you know a lot of these patients if you give them a little boost and they have a little bit less to worry about the performance anxiety goes down and um right you know, they know it people, works yeah but what uh think, amanda what do you think is the reason why most men mm-hmm not go like what's what's the underlying belief or idea of them not coming to see a therapist for erectile dysfunction the short answer is ego is is that if they're having trouble maintaining or or you know attaining erection the last thing they want is to feel more of a turnoff and going to get help for a sexual issue is is just straight up contra you know like anerotic to them it, it's it's almost like admitting defeat that this virility that they're supposed to experience is not part of who they are. So they're, they're not going to want to subscribe to that. So the kind of thing that I end up t- reminding guys or sometimes it's women who see me first and then eventually their guy comes in. Right. Or actually um, men for men as well, obviously um, they're, they're really what they need to understand is that their thought process during sex has to be arousing. So I have this sort of saying, I mean, I can say this on, on this show, um, is if you're hard on your penis, it's not going to be hard. I mean, the, at the end of the day, no part of you being reprimanded is going to perform the way you want it to. That's, right. that's, that's a great line. If you're hard on your penis, <laughs> like, the first time I hear that, I think it just fits in perfect. <laughs> there you go. It's a simple, just to remember, if you're hard on your yeah. penis, you're going to get hard. And it's true, right? It's like stressing over. That's going to be my next Instagram post on, uh, on this. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It's true. If you're not arousing, you're, yeah. if, if the thoughts you're having are telling you that basically you're on the brink of failure or they're very performance focused, mm-hmm. chances are you're, you're seeking to do a dance you know, in front of your partner with your partner. You're not seeking to experience a loss of yourself in the moment. You're not going anywhere else. You're very much staying in that moment and humbling yourself down to mechanical processes. I mean, that's not going to be hot. So if you actually are thinking to yourself, you know, wow, looking at my partner's, you know, face while they're being pleasured or looking at their body or doing things to them, that, that act, that's the kind of stuff that you got to be thinking about. If you're refocusing, mindfully refocusing your attention on what actually arouses you, then you're re-escalating the psychological arousal 
what we do in porn, right? When we're watching porn, you're essentially waiting for that psychological arousal to culminate so that then when you, um, when you uh, start pursuing sensation, the mechanics of masturbation, you already almost have to do very little because you're psychologically there already. So it's the same thing in partnered sex. You have to be allowing the psychological to escalate so that the sensory doesn't need to maintain all of the effort. Otherwise, you end up with people who are, you know, forcefully, um, uh, you know, utilizing techniques that used to work or have worked and they do them too much. And, and that's not pleasurable. Amanda, what do you think? You mentioned porn. Like, what is your take on porn? Uh, do you use it as an erotic therapist? Uh, is it something that you mm-hmm. recommend, don't recommend? We've, we've talked a little bit about it on our show. What do you think about it? Yeah, I think most, like most things, it depends why you're using it. So the motivation to use it indicates whether or not it's healthy. So if you're, you know, if it's somebody who waits till his wife is asleep to go down to the basement, you know, to rub one out before bed while she's not paying attention, you know, um, because performance and the stress of interpersonal sex has become so unpleasant, then yes, it's an issue. If you're somebody who you know, is kind of feeling a little uninspired and, you know, you want to come up with a little, with a role play in your mind or something. So you, you know, you look around at a few videos and you get kind of turned uh, on. Did you, and then to you do research? <laughs> yeah. I mean, to sort of re-inspire, <laughs> think up something that turns you on. And then you, you take some of that arousal, you talk to your partner about it. You know, I mean, uh, I have a great, there's a, a couple, I always refer to this example. I love it is, um, you know, she, she talked to him about having a fantasy of the sort of the grateful pizza delivery guy, you know, the unsuspecting guy who's invited into the house. Right. And so what does he do is one night they're having pizza or she says, you know, honey, can you go, can we order pizza? And he's like, sure, no problem. Finds the grossest baseball hat at the bottom of the closet that he can find and goes out to pick up the pizza um, to come home. I mean, you got to think, that's that's what relationships should be should involve is that that creativity that desire to sort of create a bit of a uh, of a dynamic that hopefully you can ride over the silliness and just take the arousal from it you know right. and and really enjoy each other so it, there's nothing wrong with being inspired to to um, to arousal by looking at porn it's the replacing of or the avoidance of your relationship from you know by utilizing porn that's the problem. Another one of my little sayings is if your sex life has become something you, you, know, you hide essentially in the bathroom from your partner, you know, in hopes they don't get a whiff, that's, we know there's an issue. Mm-hmm. So yeah, does that answer your porn question? Yeah. yeah. 100%. Okay. <laughs> We're all like complete quietness. We're like, okay. <laughs> yeah, because well, no, I never, yeah. no, because I, I, I never sort of thought of it that way, but uh, it's the first time I hear it like that. I mean, we, we, we were told that, not that we shouldn't watch it, that it's going to, I guess part of it is true, Amanda. It does desensitize the... The research is that it doesn't, actually. It, the, the research oh, right. is that people... No, it, it's actually that um, people who tend to look at, you know, uh, weirder and weirder stuff in porn are actually people who, um, at get-go, are already aroused by more diverse stimuli. So it shows, you know, people who, um, who are looking at all kinds of stuff that they're not experiencing in real life doesn't mean that they have escalated per se using porn. It means that their real life just may not involve all of those narratives, erotically speaking, and they're seeking it, seeking it out because it interests them. So it's not the porn that converts them to something else. It's that they're, they have that personality to start with. And yeah, and- there's a volition to what we mm-hmm. click on. 
-hmm. There's actually, if you guys, um, I'm happy to advertise this book here uh, to promote a buddy of mine's book, um, who, esteemed colleague in Albuquerque, New Mexico, have you guys ever heard of the book Ethical Porn for Dicks? A guide to your responsible viewing pleasure, I think. No, but it's called it. Ethical Porn for Dicks. It's a really, really great book. Yeah, on how we have to, to try to interview him. Yeah, you got it. He, I'm sure he would do it. Dr. Lay is great. Um, yeah. And he, yeah, you'll Dr. Lay with a with perfect name. Yes, L-E-Y. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I tell him that all the time. Like, well, why do you need marketing? <laughs> right. Uh, but uh, the, the idea there that, you know, frankly, if you're, uh, if, you're if you're using porn, there is strategy to what you condition your mind uh, with, right? I see more, the issue from porn is more often not what people are looking at or what arouses them, mm -hmm. but how they're actually utilizing idiosyncratic if you want to call it that, the um, masturbation techniques. So mm -hmm. they end up using techniques while masturbating in, in a way that's not synonymous with intercourse with a woman, for example. And then they have issues with delayed ejaculation, what we're calling the new premature. I don't know if you, if you have that too in your practice, um, Andrew, the idea that, yeah. yeah, right. I mean, people are not necessarily able to feel gratified from intercourse because yeah. of the way they've conditioned their bodies to, to masturbate. Right. Yeah, for sure. So I always tell people if you're, you know, if you're, when you're looking at porn, think of it a little bit as training for, for what you, you know, are, are ultimately seeking to be gratified by. Right. Well, yeah, but I, what, what I find, uh, I, I guess, is that they, uh, because for those big porn masturbators, for lack of a better term. Um, I love that title, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, often in those cases, they're this, the stim stimulus is, is, stronger than would be with their partner so often their partners when they're with their partner it's not enough so get... i argue that it's not actually more stimulus it's actually less psychological interference so when you're alone watching porn there's nobody looking back at you there's mm -hmm. nobody whose performance you know who who's um who, who you know is seeking to get what they need from you Right. You are alone. You're not being judged. You can watch whatever weird crap you feel like watching right. and nobody's, you know, and right. you can do it again three minutes later if you feel like it. Mm -hmm. It can take you two seconds. Nobody's going to judge you, whatever mm -hmm. the case is. And so when you're with another person, you're suddenly doing what sex therapy refers to as spectatoring. You're watching right. yourself have sex with somebody else, right? And so you're not getting to be that voyeur who's just aroused by these really sexy people on screen. Right you're actually involved. You are the subject of right. your arousal. That's a lot more psychological interference right. between you and just being able to relax into your sensations and let them escalate. Right. Is there such thing as, cause you hear some, you know, bad stories about porn and, and who's in there, whatever. Is there such thing as ethical porn or, uh, Absolutely. or biosafe porn or, <laughs> or <laughs> sure. I, I recommend, what? um, uh, Erica lust, Erica with a K lust.com. Mm -hmm. She's a, um, an ethical porn, you know, erotic filmmaker. Mm -hmm. Her, there's no fake pleasure in her movies. Uh, you know, there it's uh, consensual stuff. We're talking adult actors. Um, I mean, the stats are still showing that people looking at porn, even mainstream porn, prefer amateur pornography. It is not all washboard abs and silicone parts, you know, that is considered the most arousing, which is actually very reassuring for people right. with body image concerns, right? Yeah. So looking at ethical porn is a great way to actually get a sense of like what... Um, you know, what standards of mechanistic pleasure are reasonable to expect too. Nobody's, 
So yeah, a lot of guys, your 22-year-old guy with erectile dysfunction probably thinks he's supposed to have a nine-inch uh, situation or whatever in yeah. order to be considered good enough. Right. So, so this is an this is situation. Actually, <laughs> it, 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 I'm, I'm, first time I hear this. So uh, what do we use ethical porn? Ethical. Is that, yeah. is that the term, ethical porn? Absolutely, sure. Uh, I mean, there's various terms probably floating around in, in the industry, but uh, ethical porn or Erica just... Um, Erica Lust is great. I mean, there's actually the Feminist Porn Awards, uh, something like that. Feminist meaning humanist. I mean, feminist is not a pro-woman thing. Yeah. It's um, So that means paid actors. Yeah. Um, they may, you know, are likely to be tested to use protection to not uh, exploit anyone. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. You know, you know what Nick and I are doing right after this is <laughs> ericaless.com. That's right. And her, and her films are beautiful. I mean, they're not designed yeah. to just watch genitals, uh, you know, yeah. smashing in, until you reach orgasm. They're, right. they're really designed to inspire a little bit of an erotic uh, cool. feel for after you've, you know, you're done I, I, watching. I, you think, oh, wow, that was really, that was hot. Yeah. I think at least if they, if they do have porn and they do create porn, I think this is maybe the best type of porn that if people are going to watch, it's better to watch that than this unrealistic right. uh, porn. That's oh, but you, yeah, but you also hear stories now with Pornhub, but you know, uh, this was filmed against my, uh, yes, you, you know, right. I hear all these weird stories about it and who knows what's true and not true, but it's just sort of scary a little bit. I take the approach that honestly eroticism should be a little more thought provoking. I don't want to, I, I think porn, um, I'm not to use any website in particular, but porn, it dumbs us all down. Why? right? It should actually be thought provoking. It should be interesting to you to actually feel an intellectual psychological stimulation, you know, to not actually know what's going to happen next for a second or, yeah. or yeah. to feel pushed to a different kind of limit. Right. That's where, that's what eroticism is about. That flow of desire means it's a mutual sense of responsibility between people yeah. to sort of take that, you know, um, that effort into right. your relationship and excite one another. I mean, I see mm -hmm. people who, when they start really using eroticism instead of just sexuality in their relationships, mm -hmm. suddenly that's when, you know, even the mutual chores start to happen, right? Around right. the house. You see that, that effort. Amanda, that, can, you, can you define, like, I'm, I'm, what, what's the thin line between eroticism and sexuality? Can, is there a way that you could just... Somebody was um, watching. I'm, I'm, you know what? If we're, you replace the word, like if, if you were to see sex between those two things as food, okay, then we're looking at, um, actually, I, I wrote an article on Medium called Porn is a Snack. Here's why you're still hungry. The idea that it may be food, but you're getting it out of a vending machine when you could be looking at gourmet. So where is the prep? Where's the willingness to, to cultivate your sexuality, the mechanistic sexuality that you have with your partner um, with a little bit more intention with a little bit more creativity and you know um, time I mean a lot of the time we're looking at gratification here right see my my mission is not to help you know cure all erectile dysfunction because to be honest over the course of a lifetime the average male's sexual performance according to their own standards is going to decrease right we have to accept that that's a fact that's why I never quite so signed up well, <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. There is, there is improvements to be had and there's realistic expectations to yeah. sort of acquire. Yeah. But the fact is, is that sex therapy has a lot of different approaches that claim, you know, to cure any of these dysfunctions. Mm -hmm. I never say that I'm going to cure everything. Mm -hmm. what, I'm going, what I do encourage my clients to be aware of is that the, the lack of fulfillment across time is not a guarantee. Mm -hmm. So just because your penis may not be doing exactly what it used to do when you were 25 and you're now 55 or whatever, 
the chances are you can actually still walk away from that experience that you just had thinking, God, that was fun. Or, mm -hmm. wow, I really felt like... Amanda, I, I, sorry, I really, I really enjoy uh, hearing you speak and your approach because I think it's, to a certain extent, more realistic as well. Uh, because, again, we're also bombarded with all this... Yeah, the next guy wants to cure the problem. Everybody wants to be the, the ultimate you know, 100% uh, effective strategy or, or cure. And, and I, that's, the goal is not that. The goal is to, is to maintain fulfillment and get really good at this part of our lives that is so, so tightly knit to mental health and so tied to relational health in couples that mm -hmm. it really shouldn't matter at the end of the day what the vehicle that is our body, you know, allows us to do or isn't, you know, is, is perfectly able to turn out that day. I have a question, Amanda, because you said at the beginning, you, you, do you only work with couples that are already, they're good, they're solid, they want to work on that? Absolutely not. <laughs> no, I see people who are on the brink of divorce. I have actually divorced lawyer friends who send me clients. Okay. They're, fighting, okay. you know, they're fighting so much on my office, they, they need you, they don't need me. There's but, too much passion there. To me, to follow up on that question, you know, <laughs> this seems very much uh, sort of partner-centric, but um, what about a, you know, a, a single guy? who's right. you know or guys been and i see this a lot guys have been or, or women actually or who've been in a, in a well either single for a long time or in a relationship for a long time and, and it's easier when you're in a relationship because you're for various reasons you you know you sort of get used to each other a little bit and that necessarily is fun but easier uh mm -hmm. and then they leave the relationship and now all of a sudden you know their their wife of 20 years is no longer with them and now all of a sudden they have to perform uh, right. So how do you deal with someone like that? Well, they, chances are whatever wasn't working for them is ultimately going to be what they fear not working the next time. So even mm -hmm. if they were avoiding or demotivated from working on something, mm -hmm. um, let's say, well, my wife never wanted to have sex, so I never really worked on it, but I always had premature ejaculation, let's say. Mm -hmm. So that's mm -hmm. a classic. I hear that a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, so then what we're really looking at is, is, first of all, I help the guy attain you know, a, a solid description of what it is he wants to work on. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to say that out loud. That's, that's a good you know, yeah. beginning thing is what are your goals? What do you actually want from yourself as an erotic person? Mm -hmm. you know, who do you believe you can be sexually? How, why is that inaccessible to you? What kind of noise is in the way? What kind of beliefs do you have about who you are sexually? Mm -hmm. So if I have a guy who's, you know, um, he, he really loves sex. I mean, he's got an active libido, but he's, let's say, know he's like five four and he's got three sisters and he's just not really he doesn't really believe he's he's uh the next jason momoa out there you know then chances are he, the belief he has about his own performance is sort of that it's like a that there's there's a you know a privateness to it it's, he doesn't really connect well with others sexually he he takes care of his own sexual needs in a way that just like doesn't want to bother anybody else mm -hmm. and so we begin to ask him like why is that that's the that, that's the story he's written for himself it's actually why is it that that's you know why is his sexuality less interpersonal than anybody else's so mm -hmm. we may want to look at body image stuff we may want to look at you know what kind of things he actually fantasizes about mm -hmm. and some of those fantasies are not going to be that he's you know um taking the woman you know behind the dugout in front of all his that's not going to be what happens right what's going to be is he may be the the grateful male in the in the erotic narrative who who really feels like he he can meet a woman's needs and so he may actually want to up his skills with regard to pleasuring a woman in mm -hmm. order to bring his pleasure out of the basement 
Amazing. I, I learned uh, I learned a lot today. Actually, <laughs> we have to have some more talks, Amanda. Yeah, anytime. I guess who, Nick, and also guess who we're inviting to our live uh, our live thing that we're going to do uh, in the fall. Yes, in November, Amanda. Yes. Awesome. Hey, yes. great. No, I'd love to. I think this is this is definitely uh, the erotic empathy idea. Is like I said, it's focusing on on really appreciating that you have to have empathy for the fact that other people don't see you the way you see yourself sexually mm-hmm. and that the way you see yourself is most likely a psychological interference to pleasure. I, I okay. have a, a last question when we talk yeah. about erotic and the empathy and what you said about how we see ourselves. So overall, it's, it's therapy within that, that, that is the source of everything else. Is that, is that what you go? You go work straight to the source of working on the other person, their belief and, and everything else, and then the rest by default happens? It's interesting. I think when you say the source, I, I am looking at how people perceive themselves um, and what kind of assumptions they may have about how their partners perceive them erotically, right? There is an erotic identity that neither psychotherapy nor sex therapy often talk about at all. Um, so, right, I mean, erotic empathy is is a skill I, I, I think therapists should develop distinctly separate from that usual empathy and compassion that they're trained in because everybody gets a little uncomfy when they talk about sex. You know, everybody starts to think a little bit more personally when sexuality comes up. We start thinking about ourselves. We start compare, comparing what we're talking about, right, to some aspect of our own personal life. Mm-hmm. So erotic empathy from a therapist standpoint is, is, is the skill that kind of just extends that usual objectivity to the themes of sexuality so that we can become creative and resource with our clients. In relationships and individuals, erotic empathy is something that you certainly can get better at with your partner. I mean, if a man is understanding that his, um, his wife right after childbirth is not going to feel the same in her skin, right, then, then she will have beforehand. And he really offers her a little bit more reassurance or tries to like gauge more of her, her mindful focus during sex so that she can feel well. He's having empathy for her experience. Right. And that's going to be very helpful. So he, if he has it for her, I'll often say, okay, now can you have a little bit more of it for you? Right. And kind of looking at and how it's practiced. So I break it down into skills of interpersonal attunement and, you know, expressing actual needs and wants. Most people don't have a dialogue for any of this stuff. We don't know the, we don't know the words, the expressions. So Amanda, where can people find you? Because I know you're also doing a telemedicine conference, well, whatever, telephone. Yeah, um, all my sessions are on Zoom these days. Uh, For some people who are a little, you know, they're just not as comfortable doing a video session, that's fine. They're uh, more than welcome to start on phone and and, you know, we work from there. Hopefully we're not doing this for too much longer, but uh, certainly I'm available online. They can book their appointments straight through my website, actually, on eroticempathy.ca. Eroticempathy.ca. And another plug for the name of that book that you were talking about, because I thought that sounded... Oh, uh, yeah. It's David Lay's book is um, Ethical Porn for Dicks. Ethical Porn for Dicks. Andrew, we're contacting him. Definitely. <laughs> I'll, you know what? I'll send you a little uh, an email or something. Okay. He's, he's, and we're great. definitely going to explore more with Amanda in the future, for sure. Yes. So, Amen. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So we'll we'll speak to you soon. All right. Sounds good. Bye, guys. And remember Bye. the balls too. Talk about it. <laughs>